Welcome to Village Church of Gurney Podcast. This week we start in our first week in Advent. The name of the sermon is called The Manger and Creation. And Pastor David will be preaching from John 1, 1-5, and 9-14. Let's join Pastor David now. Well, as we uh, start this Advent series, uh, the manger in creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. Over the next uh, few Sundays, we're going to walk through, in a way, the story of the entire Bible. Uh, Some have uh, uh, partitioned and split up and made sense of this biblical story in these four simple moves, these four simple chapters, creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. And why are we looking at the whole story of the Bible while we're pointing at the manger? Because we will see that the manger, the coming of Christ, uh, the incarnation, heaven bursting into earth, God come for us is more, it's more than merely a sentimental moment. It's pointing to the very mission of God. That as we look through this moment, as we look uh, to Christ's coming to it and through it, we start to see the grand story of the entire Bible, the grand story of all history, as it plays out in these four stages, creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. And we're going to start today at the beginning, the creator, God himself. And we see, we see we're going to see in these opening verses that we're going to look at today, that our creator, Christ, Christ himself, the Christ in the manger, the baby in this manger, Christ himself, the Messiah himself, is the very creator and architect and designer of the world. He made everything. He fashioned everything. He designed everything. And he has made us. Meet me in John chapter 1. John chapter 1. We're going to be looking at uh, portions of verses 1 through 14. John chapter 1. Look at verses 1 and 2. Let me read them for us. God's word says in the gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And already out of the gates, we're not even two verses into this portion of Scripture, and we are seeing quite the profound statement of the identity of Jesus. This baby come for us, that he himself is none other than God himself. Divinity in humility, God and man, fully God, fully man. Him come for us. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. This is none other than God himself. That Jesus is the very essence of God. The radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of his nature. That Jesus himself is God. And John, as, as he describes Jesus using this phrase, the word, we see that he's the very thoughts of God the very action of God, that that all throughout the Bible when we see God's Word in action, we see it revealing His identity. We see it accomplishing things. We see it doing things. Uh, God's Word uh, uh, shows us a glimpse of Himself, and the Word has come for us. 
His word made flesh, dwelling among us. This is Jesus, the very essence of God, and with God in the Father's presence. Now, this is where, of course, in, in for centuries, this has been a truth that is simple enough to summarize in a few words, yet complex enough to never fully, not fully, appreciate and fully wrap our minds around that God is triune. <laughs> triune. Three in one. He are three, they is one. God himself, that Jesus is with God in the sense that he is with the Father. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father, so on and so forth. Yet all are God. That Jesus is in the very presence of God the Father, and Jesus exists before existence existed. And we have to appreciate what John is doing here in these first three words of John chapter 1, in the beginning, in the beginning. And in verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. And if you've had the privilege of being able to study Scripture widely, your, your mind might have jumped to another part of the Bible, and it was right to jump there. As we think about these words, in the beginning, in some ways, um, note that John, the Gospel of John, uses very simple language, but do not be fooled. It is far from simplistic. That in some ways, when you're starting an account of what happened, it's very fitting to start at the beginning of the story. But this story is, um, is talking about a, begin a beginning you might not realize, that it's more than just the moment where Mary and Joseph held their baby boy for the first time, where they looked at the size of his hands in their palm, where they heard his shallow breaths, the size that uh, a baby's lungs draws in. This is more than just the beginning of Jesus on earth as he is born for us. That phrase, in the beginning, we've heard it before, have we not? Remember it from the book of Genesis? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless, without void. Darkness covered the face of the deep. The Spirit was hovering over the waters, and God spoke his word. And creation bursts forth. Light shines into darkness that God separates from the darkness from the light. The darkness he calls night. The light he calls day. Evening and morning the first day. Light is bursting into creation. The very first act of creation through the very word of God. In the beginning. So we look at the manger, but we have to look through the manger to a beginning before that beginning. At creation itself. Do you see what John is saying about Jesus? That not only he, is he God, not only does his story start much before Mary and Joseph, it starts at the very beginning of the Bible, but now appreciate this. In a way, this phrase in the beginning is talking about the beginning of the gospel. It's talking about the beginning of the Bible in this moment of creation, but it's also talking about a beginning beyond beginnings. And, and this one's tough for our minds to wrap around because we, we have no other way to make sense of our world other than in time and existence that it gets pretty philosophical pretty quickly. This phrase, in the beginning, as John's using it, can describe the beginning that, that um, before existence itself existed, that pure existence, in some ways temporal, past, present, future, starts to break down as we think about God who just always existed. He is. 
How do we wrap our minds around that? How, how do we think about that? How do we make sense of that? Well, we start to hear phrases elsewhere in Scripture like Jesus saying, before Abraham was born, I am, I am that I am. That Jesus himself is, is the unmoved mover. That Jesus himself is, is pure existence. That Jesus depends on no one. Jesus looks to no other source for strength or sustenance or power. He just simply is. God is. And it's hard to wrap our minds around that before time, before history, before space, before material creation, God is. We start to hear things from the voice of Jesus like, oh yeah, I saw Satan fall from heaven. I saw him fall like lightning. What? <laughs> he was there. He's always existed before you and I existed, before parents and grandparents and great-great-grandparents, before the dirt on the ground, before the light in the sky, he is. This is the God who is come for us. This is the God who is stepping into creation. Jesus is God, and, and he's the creator of the universe, the creator and designer of all things. The trees as their leaves uh, rustle in the wind, streams as they careen to the left and to the right, mountains as they reach toward the heavens, stars in the sky hung like bulbs on a tree. God, designer, crafter, engineer of all things. God is the designer of the laws of physics. God is the one who knit you together. God is the one who architect and designed and fashioned your personality. God is the one who tuned the, the tune of your laughter. He tuned the tune of your cries and tears. He's the one that has the composition of air. He's the one that causes clouds to go across the sky, rain to be drawn up into them and let down onto the earth. He is the one who designed all things. Do you see what John is saying about this baby in the manger? Do you see how it's bigger than sentimentality? Something huge is happening. Something cosmic is happening. God is coming for us. And he's creator and designer of all things. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, so says Colossians. By him all things are created. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Hebrews chapter 1 says he sustains all existence by the word of his power, that every molecule of all existence, the only reason it doesn't fall apart in a moment is because God says, stay. God places it in motion. God sustains it. He guides it. That all of history is unfolding in according to his design and his will. Think again, read again these first uh, uh, four verses, four or five verses. Look at these again. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines into darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That Christ is the very light and life bursting into our history. That Christ looked out unto nothing and spoke. In the beginning was the Word. <laughs> In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God spoke and said, let there be light. 
And in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Light shines into darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. God separated the light from the darkness, the light he called day, the darkness he called night. Do you see what God's word in Genesis and John chapter 1, as you overlay these passages, we start to see the glory and the grandeur of Christ, this baby in the manger. Creator, come for us. And if Jesus is the creator and sustainer and guider of all things, that says something about God, and it says something about this moment of Advent. That a God of this glory, a God of this size, a God of this magnitude will not be satisfied to merely warm your heart. And I do hope, I do hope this Advent season there is some heartwarming that takes place. Absolutely. It's not a bad thing per se. But do you see how, do you see how far short that falls of the full picture of what is unfolding in this season of Advent? God won't be satisfied to merely warm your heart. He's the creator come to transform it. He's the creator come to change it. He's the creator come to renew and to redeem, to sanctify, to revive, to soften the hardest of hearts. God himself, just as he stepped out onto nothing and created everything, God himself is stepping into our history. He's stepping into your history, into your story, and he won't be satisfied until your heart is changed, crafted, molded by the very creator of the earth. In his hands, you were just as fashioned by him as you can be shaped and formed and transformed by him. This is the goal that God, the creator, has for you. Transformation. Uh, uh, that you would come into conformity of his son. Over this Advent season, reflect, reflect, think on the profound nature of God coming for us. The creator of the world coming for us. It says something about God and it says something about us. M much could be drawn from this idea that God is creator we are creation. We are created. Much could be said about that, but I just want to reflect on one thing. Uh, all of us, in a way, know in our own human experience what it means to create something. I know many of you are uh, artists. Perhaps some of you create with, with paint uh, and easel. Some of you might create uh, with, with clay. Some of you might create with wood and saws and screws and hammers. Some of you might uh, create on with, with, with spreadsheets. Uh, as an architect, you might create buildings or bridges. Some of you create a culture of a home. Some of you create lessons and shape the lives of little ones. In a way, because we reflect our creator, he calls us to co-create with him. Whatever you might have created, you know a small glimpse of that feeling of satisfaction, that joy, that pride, even if it's just decorating a room in your home that you're, you're excited about. You want to show people. You want others to be a part of it. There's a part in your heart, and we're probably you're going to try not to be prideful about it, but you want to show it off. You want to enjoy it with others. Now, if you and I know that experience, a satisfaction in something that you've created or formed, how much more infinitely so does God have that heart? That if he has created and fashioned and formed you, do you know what that means? Your value, your dignity, your identity, 
are all things that we don't have to grasp at and accomplish ourselves. These are gifts given by God himself. Imagine that. Think about that. A value that we don't have to achieve, a value that we don't have to create, an identity that we don't have to achieve, an identity that we don't have to create. It's simply given by God's grace. We are creation. He is creator, that we know ourselves by knowing our creator and designer, how he has fashioned us, how he has formed us. And that gives us a profound sense of rest because it is very easy that if we're trying to go about creating and fashioning and forming our own dignity, our own value, our own worth, we can look for a whole bu- to a whole bunch of different things to accomplish that, and sometimes we look for that in approval. Sometimes we take the approach of looking for that approval as broad as we possibly can, and we need more voices to tell us, I'm important, I'm valued, I'm needed, I'm special. Sometimes we go broad, and we need a whole bunch of people to tell us that. Have you noticed it's, it's still empty? That we could pile hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of voices and there still would be something missing. Sometimes we go broad, sometimes we go very specific. For some of you, there is a person in your life until they say you're important. Until they say that. It doesn't matter what anyone else in your life says. Until they say, I love you. Until they say, you're cherished. You could hear that from hundreds of people, and it wouldn't matter. It would fall flat. Sometimes we look for our value and dignity, uh, maybe not in approval, but in maybe what we try to accomplish. Again, sometimes we go broad. We look for sheer quantity, and we're trying to achieve and accomplish and do this and do that and pile on a whole bunch of things and tack on a whole bunch of letters to our name and, and, and accomplish a whole and, and continue to construct the CV. What are we trying to do at the soul level? I'm trying to to tell myself I'm important. I'm trying to tell myself I I, I can be a contributor to this world. Sometimes we go broad. Sometimes we go very specific. We say, until I achieve that, whatever that is, until I achieve that, I'm nothing. Until I accomplish this, I'm still not there. That, my friends, will leave us absolutely exhausted, not just physically, exhausted of soul, until you hear the voice of your creator, your creator, who's formed and fashioned you, until he says, I love you. I'm proud of you. I delight in you. You have significance and value and worth because you're mine. And I fashioned and formed you, my friends. Once you have that voice of God speaking that into your life, only then will all other voices be put to rest. Only then will all other voices find their place. He is creator of the universe, the designer and crafter and former of all things, and the designer and crafter of you. And this baby in the manger is none other than God himself, creator in the world, come for us However, 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 Jesus, Jesus comes to a world that rejects him. This baby in in the manger, the Messiah, actually comes to a world who turns, who rejects, who mocks, who beats, who crucifies. Humanity turns its back. We turn our back on the creator stepped into our story. Look at these next verses, 9 through 11. The true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet 
The world did not know him. He came to his own, verse 11, and his own people did not receive him. Now let me, let me uh, let's look a little closer at some of the words in these a few verses. The true light, true light, ultimate light. Light that illumines. Light that uh, 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 guides us on our path. Light that brings life. That every uh, plant that we see, either growing in a garden or, or, um, or, or, or we see in our travels and vacations, all, all those plants need light to have life. Light, light that is opposed to darkness, uh, light that is, is, is showing us a glimpse, uh, light that is everything opposite of wrong, light that is everything opposite of evil, light that is everything opposite of unjust or broken. The true light which is coming into the world, that's Jesus, is stepping into the, the dark world that we live in, in the darkness inside of us, yet the very creation that God has created didn't know him, didn't receive him, didn't recognize him rejects him, turns on him. This light which is bursting from his future into our present that causes flourishing now and life eternal is muted. We are blind to this light. And his coming, his coming is more than the coming. Verse 9 was coming into the world. This is more than the coming of mere attendance. This is a different kind of coming that someone is uh, coming to a Christmas party or someone is coming from, uh, from somewhere else in the country to your home or your place. It's not just saying, hey guys, I'm here. It's at least that. But this coming is the coming of mission, of purpose, that there's a reason, there's a call, there's a, there's a saving mission, a redeeming mission that Jesus is embarking on in this moment. That he certainly at least comes to dwell. He certainly at least comes to be near to his creation. But more than that, to save and redeem his creation. This is a mission unfolding. The mission of God for you and for me. And he's coming into the world. And this word world in the Gospel of John, if you read through the entire Gospel of John, every time you come across the word word, world, slow down and look at what it's talking about. The world is not God the Creator stepping into utopia. It's not even God the Creator stepping into humanity neutral to God. It's actually God the Creator stepping into the world, which is humanity hostile to God. Not the world at its best. Not the world holding hands, singing kumbaya, but rather the world with clenched fists in rejection and rebellion against God. As you go through the Gospel of John, you're going to see it more and more and more that this very world that Christ came to save is the very world that rejects him. And, and appreciate, when you start to look at two of these chapters of this grand narrative, creation and redemption, think about the baby in the manger, the very creator in the world, that Jesus himself is a baby. Imagine this. Held in the arms of his mother, the arms that he engineered and designed. The very creator of the world who is listening to the soothing voices of Mary and Joseph, the voices that he tuned to their frequencies. The baby Jesus laid in, in the manger made of wood, formed and fashioned by the tree that he designed, he crafted, he planted, he caused to grow. 
the very creator of the world, whose breathing breaths of the very air that he composed. See, see majesty become meek. Creator step into creation. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but took on the form of a servant. God become man. Think of the humility of this moment for the creator of the world to be so dependent. And this is the very same creator who later in the story would be beaten and crucified by the very arms that he engineered. On the cross, he would hear uh, the, the cursing and the mocking voices from the very lungs and very vocal cords that he tuned to their frequencies. He'd be nailed to the cross made of wood, fashioned and formed out of the tree that he created, he designed, he planted, he caused to grow. The very creator of the world who breathed his first of the air he composed would also breathe his last of the air that he composed. What is he doing? He's saving. He's redeeming. He's stepping into darkness. He's absorbing darkness that the light of the world might bring new life, hope, salvation, restoration, renewal. Do you see what's unfolding in this grand mission of God, the Messiah? That he is coming to a world who rejects him so much so that his creation would eat him alive and he would willingly do it because that's the way that he would save the very creation that destroys its creator. See the kind of love one would scarcely die for a righteous person. Yet, yet, while we were sinners, while we were enemies, Christ came. He came to die for us. It's a sobering reality, but it's, it's, it's an important one that we need to remember because it... Having the backdrop of the dark velvet of this truth makes the gospel diamond shine all the more brilliant. The default position of the human heart is not one with arms open or arms raised to our creator. It's one of arm extended. The default position of the human heart to God our creator is no. No. One of the first words we learn just as, as, as toddlers reveals the very disposition of our heart to our very creator. No. We in rejection. We in rebellion. Light seeking to burst into our life, yet our eyes are closed, our hands are up, and we are resistant to God come for us. Uh, the, the Messiah in the manger is the creator of all things. He's stepping into our creation, and yet the very world he created rejects him. However, 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 for all who receive him, he gives life. That this Jesus, Christ, comes to restore, to save, to redeem, to renew all who do receive him, all who do respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is where this passage goes next. Look at verses 12 to 14. Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of the blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
this very glorious cosmic king, the same God that is the people of Israel, couldn't touch Mount Sinai, otherwise they'd be undone. They couldn't touch the altar, otherwise they'd be undone. They can't enter the Holy of Holies because they'd be undone. Because God is so glorious, so brilliant, so good, that we cannot enter his presence without being undone. Woe is me, says the prophet Isaiah. This is the glorious, transcendent, cosmic king come for us. We've seen his glory. How do we see it? Look at the baby in the manger. Look at Christ. When you look at the face of the son, you see the face of the father. You see the face of God. And he's come and all who do receive him are given life. And do you notice that? Not, not by, uh, we're born not of blood. We don't, we don't, enter God's kingdom. We don't enter glory. We don't enter salvation because of the, of the lineage that we come from. The gospel is not reserved for those uh, who have been providentially born into the right lineage, into the right ethnicity, into the right family tree. It's not by blood, nor of the will of flesh. We can't will our way into God's kingdom, nor of the will of man, but of God. It's the very will and design and intention and intervention and renewing and regenerating power of God that brings about salvation. Is your view of salvation that big? Do you see that God has to soften my heart? God has to move first. He pursues me first. He doesn't chase me as I'm watching him come to me. He chases me as my back is turned on him. And as, as he moves in our hearts, as we respond to that grace that, that God pursues us in, that is how we are given new life, regenerated, born again. And the hope of that salvation is something that we need to hold on to because one of the things, perhaps some of you here are checking out Christianity or your parents are convinced of it, but you're still thinking about it. One of the hesitations that people can have as they're considering Christ or, or making sense of what this gospel is, is, or one of the concerns we bring is, but am I too far gone? Am I too lost? Am I too blind? Am I too broken? Have I done too much? Have I rejected for too long? Sometimes we can think, how could God save me? And this is something that doesn't actually only trouble people who are checking out Christianity. Sometimes it can trouble Christians in terms of our growth, in terms of our sanctification. We as Christians can sometimes think, do I have a, do, do I have a sin pattern that has created a rut in my life that goes too deep, that cannot be smoothed out? Do I have trauma that's, that's too tangled? Do I have brokenness in my life or, 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 or generationally in my family that's, that's too splintered? Do I have relationships that are too decayed, too strained? Is there brokenness in my life that, that all the king's horses and all the king's men, are you with me? <laughs> that I can't be made new, that I can't be put back together, that I can't be restored whether you're checking out Christianity or you're in Christ and you're struggling with that, my too broken, too lost, too far gone, I want you to look at the manger. Do you see what the incarnation says to that question? See the distance that God has come to tell you and to show you you are never too far gone, never too lost, 
never too broken, never too splintered. There's no rut so deep that God cannot smooth it out. There is no, uh, there's no trauma too tangled that God cannot untangle it. There's no splinter uh, too shattered that God cannot put the pieces back together again. What is harder to believe? <laughs> that if the very God created everything out of nothing, if the very God of creation could accomplish that, what makes us think that he could not restore and renew that which is broken? If he's got the power to step onto nothing and speak into nothing and shape nothing and everything comes into being, then my friends, when we bring him the broken pieces, don't you see? <laughs> if he's got power to create, he's got power to restore. He's got power to redeem. He's got power to heal. Power to mend. Power to renew. We hear it. We hear it in the song you know this song, mild he lays his glory by, God come to earth, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. If anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. New creation. Bring your broken pieces and lay them in the hands of the very creator of the universe Hands that at one time could have fit in the palm of your hand. <laughs> hands that one time were dependent every single moment on Mary and Joseph. Mild, yet powerful, yet mighty. The creator of all things, the designer of all things. Do you see what John is talking about? That the creator of the world is stepping into our world. He's stepping into your world. That Christ comes to restore the very world that he created. So my friends, let him. Let him restore you. Let him shine into the dark parts of your life. Pockets of your life that perhaps you've kept hidden for quite some time. Dark seasons of your life that you have not wanted to, to go back and explore parts of your life that were broken and maybe are collecting dust and cobwebs from years ago or decades ago? Do you see what happens when you allow the creator of the universe into those places? That the very God who created all things, the very God who steps into the world that we broke, the very God who redeems and saves is the very God who can take all those broken pieces and fashion and form new creation, a restored universe Think of the Advent season. Think of the coming of Christ. Think of his grandeur and see that, that if Christ is cosmic creator, the only response, the only fitting response to this Jesus is adoration. <laughs> oh, come, as the song says, let us adore him. How fitting. And if he's the creator, I must adore him. There's no, there's no other response that is more fitting to any other response. Less than adoration is not enough. He must be adored if he's creator, but if he's also savior, it's not just that I must adore him. I want to. <laughs> I want to adore him. If he's come in grace and love to restore and redeem and save. If he's creator, I am creation. It shows us something about God. It also shows us something about us, that I need to be restored by him. I need to be restored. And only the hands of the creator can do it. Only the hands of the designer can accomplish it. 
But not only do I need to be restored by him, he wants to restore me. How do I know that? That's why he came. That's why he came, the saving mission for you and I, that this grand story of the Bible is a story that God says, I want you in it. I want you wrapped up into this story. So as we go through this Advent season, as we look at this story, won't you see the invitation that is open to you? Step in it for the first time or step in it deeper and watch the Creator work. Let's pray. Father, we, we do. We come in awe. We come in gratitude. We come with praise. We come humbled, grateful, overwhelmed. The Creator has come again for us. So, Father, as we reflect on your first coming, as we groan with all creation for your second coming, would you show us your love and your power? God made flesh to dwell among us. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Village Church of Gurney's podcast. If you would like to know more about Village Church, you can go to our Facebook page under Village Church of Gurney or go to www.vc.com gurney.org